the mythos is a lonely place. Sometimes it's best not to go out alone, but to seek guidance and support. Way back at the start of Drawn to the Flame, we did some episodes all about allies and looking at the allies that were available to different investigators. And we're here with another sort of ally episode. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hello, Peter. How are you? I'm great. I'm doing really, really well. How are you? Yes, I'm very well as well. The sun is shining. Yeah. I don't feel lonely at all. I don't feel terrified by the mythos. Well, this is this is the time you've got to be extra wor- worried when everything seems okay outside. Yes. Can you imagine a scenario that begins, it's a beautiful sunny day? I just think that'd be the worst scenario. Yeah. It's been an exciting couple of weeks for the podcast, hasn't it? Yeah, it feels like we've been super busy. Yeah, it has. Sorry, this you might have heard a very plaintive whine there. That's that's my cat. <laughs> you, can, right. you can edit him out. So we had our first article up on Fantasy Flight Games' website. If you've not seen that, read that yet, listener, go take a look. It's been really fun doing those. I think the first, by the time this comes out, the first two will be up, which will probably be Seeker and Guardian. We hope so, otherwise something will have gone very wrong. Yeah, but it's been really fun diving and and thinking deeply about what it is that makes each faction that faction. Yeah, I think particularly because we have our favourite cards and our favourite investigators within a faction, it's been a really interesting sort of thought exercise to go, but hang on, you know, Seeker isn't just Min or isn't just Rex. How do we get our head around all of the Seekers out there and what, what does the card pool offer for all of them? Exactly, and it's really enjoyable. Especially because each each individual investigator isn't just defined by the infaction cards they can take. Mm, Yeah, we're looking. We were looking at threads across the faction, but then appreciating that each of the the investigators can pick from other factions as well. Yeah, yeah. I have a friend who wants to play Rex in a forthcoming campaign, and asked me to build a Rex deck for him, and that was really interesting. Now, given how big the card pool is trying to pick those five off class cards because we already have a rogue in the party as well and i think i'm going to be guardian so then you go do you do rex with some mystic cards or how do you you know where do you where do you fit him in yeah i mean people often ask on on the discord on reddit for for recommendations for those five cards Uh, and there are some like kind of generically good ones (laughs) so you know it's it's never terrible to take something like ward of protection yeah yeah even now that you can you can have more of those sorts of cards within the faction, yeah, yeah, did. But but you know you might be picking cards that actually want to tie into your your particular style that you've got. Uh, even maybe kind of cards which set off your whole strategy could be from those five out of faction cards. Mm, yeah. The other thing I've thought is that if you do that kind of if you lean into a kind of classic good stuff build where you get lots of resources and you don't require too many cards to to sort of have your setup, at that point something like teamwork becomes really useful to share the love or other ways that you can share the resources you've generated and generally sort of be useful to the whole group rather than just yourself. So speaking of, of sharing and, and being a person who shares things with other people, we have a particular trait that we're going to talk about today. There are, you may have noticed, in the last cycle, we had five patrons. When we interviewed Matt a few weeks ago, which was another exciting thing we did, we talked about the patrons a bit, didn't we? 
Yeah, we did. We did. If you've not heard our Matt interview yet, at the end of Dunwich we did this and we've been really lucky to do this at the end of Carcosa as well. We'd normally try and keep our episodes pretty short and sweet, but when we had the opportunity to talk to Matt, we went for, you know, all guns blazing, as much conversation as we could get. So we talked about the player cards from Carcosa, the scenarios from Carcosa, and he even gave us some little hints about the Forgotten Age as well. So yeah, we wanted to just pick up on one of these traits, which was the patron trait, and do a short episode focused on that. Yeah, so let, let's dive in, shall we? Yeah, yeah. So the first patron that I think we knew about was Charles Ross, Esquire, Acquisitions and Solicitation, who's a Seeker patron, uh, two-cost asset with an intellect icon, one health and two sanity, which is kind of the classic Seeker ally health and sanity split, more or less. And he reads, you may spend resources to pay for item assets played by other investigators at your location. As a free trigger, exhaust Charles Ross, reduce the cost of the next item asset played by an investigator at your location by one. So you mentioned teamwork earlier, didn't you, Frank? Mm, yeah. Teamwork lets you swap resources and items and allies between yeah. players. Yeah. So in a way, Charles Ross replicates that effect where you can use your resources to pay for the items of other players. Yeah. So if you're using teamwork for a rich investigator to share their wealth, Charles Ross does something quite similar. What you can also find yourself doing then is have one investigator who's all about generating resources and another investigator who's all about playing item assets. And you don't have to have those two things happening on the same person. So your rich seeker who's maybe getting resources from, I don't know, burgling or not really playing any cards themselves and then not spending their resources on much can then just be pouring their resources into other people's playing of items. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or, or you can you can use Charles in a in a more say in a Jenny deck because he's he's level zero, so Jenny could take Charles, and then she can just focus purely on generating huge amounts of cash, which then is spread out amongst the rest of the team, letting them concentrate more on their their key specialty rather than also thinking about resource generation, at least yeah. when it comes to item assets. And I guess that's that's the rub, isn't it? Because Charles can only be used for item assets. Yeah. I mean, an item is probably one of the most common traits on assets. So thinking about things like machetes or cherished keepsakes or leather coats. Neither of those have cost. <laughs> I was about to but, say. Yeah. Five examples. <laughs> or, but bigger, bigger, you know, a fire axe is an item, a flashlight is an item, smoking pipe, painkillers, these are items. There are plenty of items, yeah. The 45. You've you've named all things that would be great in a Yorick deck there. Yeah, maybe that's what I have on the mind. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's a great partnership. We found Yorick, his main struggle is resources to, to play all the stuff. It's not necessarily opportunities to play the things in his discard pile. Uh, it's having the resources ready to play them mm. when you can. So I think yeah. a, a Charles Ross toting investigator would be a really good... Uh, partner for Yorick. Yeah, I have I have quite strong thoughts about Yorick and what he can and can't play, which I'll share at another time, I think. But precisely, resources are a real sticking point for him. And Ross is one way of 
getting around that. The thing to note as well is it doesn't doesn't take an action or anything like that for you to spend those resources. So your playing partner goes about playing in the usual way. I'm going to play this 45 automatic now. And you can be the one who just chips in the resources at that point. So I think there's also there's a sort of subtle strength there, which is that they kind of go about their business, but you handle some of the costs of them going about their business yeah. without it costing you extra actions or things like that. And plus, of course, you can just use this free action effectively yeah. to, to gain a resource every turn. If you're, if you're, again, if you're playing enough items. Yeah. How many discounts would be a good amount, do you think, for Charles Ross? Well, once he's given you two discounts, he's he's paid for his own resource cost. And you could argue three then counts accounts for the, uh, the, the the action to play him as well. So, But in, in terms of, yeah. I don't know, we'll, we'll probably talk about this more as we go forward. What's a good resource return for a card like Charles? Yeah. Providing a passive benefit, which allows you to spread your resources around. So you're playing Charles in a deck that's already rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what you're looking to use. I guess that's what you're looking to use this free action for, is to help other players yeah. rather than help yourself. Yeah, yeah. My personal favourite, I think, is a Charisma deck with Milan and Charles. And in any Seeker with Milan, you're going to be doing the kind of the brunt of the investigative work. But once you've got that engine up and running, you're maybe not spending too many of those resources, particularly if you have higher education where you, you get such a good value exchange for your resources spent so all of your excess resources can then be slewed off to other people there's a is am i right something there's a there's a rules query around the exhaust effect is that right yeah it, as far as i'm aware it, it's not intentional but the wording of the card means that you his effect d- doesn't have an expiry and that it stacks as well so okay. you, you could you could tap it every turn to build up a big resource for the next item asset played. Okay, yeah. And then play a lightning gun for free six turns later. Yeah. If you held on. It's quite a long time to wait Yeah, for a lightning gun. My understanding, it's not as intended, but I don't think it's necessarily overpowered or anything like that. So whichever way you play it, I don't think it's mm. it's, a, it's not going to break the game. And he's unique, as all of these patrons are, so we can't have a situation where there are you know two copies down building up sort of a ludicrous discount really rapidly. And even if there were, what what, what are you going to play? You're going to get a six a discount six cost card, really? Yeah, that's the highest you can go at the moment. Yeah, and that's going to take several turns to do anyway, so I, I don't think it's really going to break the game. Yeah, he's useful for things like replaying knife as well in Yorick, isn't he? You get a knife back for free having thrown it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think for, paired with someone like Yorick or a guardian who wants to play lots of uh, items, which which yeah. ge- weapons are generally items, and potentially the class that struggles the most with resource generation, I think he's a perfect pair for someone like that. The other thing, that's a tiny thing to note, is that he came out in the cycle where items were targeted by some encounter cards. Yeah. And actually what I'm thinking of is straight jacket as well one of the ways that you can get really punished in oath is you've carefully put your machete down and put your 45 down and then they both get bounced back to your hand and you don't get the resources back for them and having a way of getting them back into play more cheaply is really useful should we move on to the next 
patron. Yeah, and funny that I just mentioned Unspeakable Oath, because the one scenario that we've played together in the flesh, I was playing a Jenny deck with Dario El Amin in the deck, and yeah, having fun with that. Tell me what he does, Rank. So it's another unique ally asset. Dario El Amin is the unscrupulous investor. He's a four-cost level zero asset with an intellect icon. Two health and two sanity, which again is sort of the classic health and sanity pool. Cat Burglar and Leo are like that as well. He reads, while you have ten or more resources, you get plus one willpower and plus one intellect. And he has an action ability, if there are no enemies at your location, exhaust Dario Elamine, gain two resources. But, but what's, what's your experience been of Dario? I have grown to like Dario a lot. My first feeling was one of reservation about ever getting up to 10 resources and why. And it feels like such an arbitrary cap to have to be at 10 resources. And if you just dip down to nine, you suddenly lose the two stat boosts. But I played Dario in a solo Jenny deck as well, uh, Dario and Leo. And when I set out with that deck, I thought there's no way that this is going to be affordable. But Jenny is so powerful with resources. She just zooms to 10 really without any difficulty. And actually, I would often float at 15 or 18 resources, even using Streetwise and even having played those investigators. And I came round to thinking that it's actually a pretty strong way of playing because there might be that turn where you suddenly need to play elusive, play a backstab, you want to use Streetwise to you know, guarantee that you hit with the backstab or double or nothing backstab and really boost time. You've got this massive pool of resources that you can suddenly unload for this super play. Well, that, that was going to be my, my question then because my, my experience has been he's quite expensive to play. So he costs four to play, but really he actually costs 14 to play. To get that boost, yeah. 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 And 14 is a lot of resources, even with his his action giving you two resources a turn. Yeah. he There's definitely an expense there. I think it's notable that he's in the rogue faction, where you might want to be saving resources more than in any other faction. And we've seen particularly recently this idea that rogues want to keep everything in hand and wait and bide their time. They keep their weapons ready with you know sleight of hand. They keep all of their tricks in hand. I really actually can't wait for a card that gives rogues um, a bigger hand size. That, that I think will be really... like That's the next piece of the puzzle for this sort of feast or famine playstyle. But the cost is definitely something I'm wary of. I think... The other thing is that that action ability is quite strong because once you have it, if there's ever a point where you were going to take an action for one resource, Dario doubles that up. You know, we think about the Necronomicon and people, the Olaus wormiest translation of the Necronomicon in Dunwich, and that action ability to gain two is very strong. And admittedly, there are other things that are great about that card. But yeah, sort of slowly tapping Dario to just keep Streetwise online and things like that, I think is is all right. When I've played him, I haven't used that action ability every single turn reliably. But sometimes you're at, say, six resources and you exhaust Dario, go up to eight. And in upkeep, because you're Jenny, you go up to ten. And then your boost is online for the next Mythos phase. Anyway, what are your what are your experiences of Dario? So yeah, I must yeah. My experience has been he's he's quite expensive to play, um, and the bonus doesn't last very long. 
because by the time the rogue has built up to get more than 10 resources, a turn crops up where they have to play all their cards anyway. And they mm. end up back down below that. And they generally have enough resource generation from the other event cards in their deck anyway. So I don't know whether... It, I've, I've not played with a Jenny using Dario, because mm. I think that really is the... That's the kind of the, the combo you'd want. Someone who's more yeah. focused, a rogue that's more focused on generating resources. And if you maybe toss in Lone Wolf to that. Yeah, exactly, can, yeah, yeah. You can be zooming up very quickly. Um, so, yeah, that's that's definitely the case. I think I think the trick is as well that you're not aiming for 10 resources. You're aiming for 20. Yeah. So that when you have this powerful turn and go down to eight resources left, you're then back up again. But... It, it's definitely possible. We've seen rogues that can kind of go crazy for resources, but it means you have to be somewhat cautious about how you're spending your resources. And it also maybe leans into... I like it in Jenny because I run quite a lot of neutral skills in Jenny because I don't want to just be spending resources to pass tests. It's not like a pure pay-to-win build. And I think more generally over this cycle, we've seen a real division between investigators where you build a deck where it is about using your resources to pass tests and investigator where they really don't use their resources to pass tests. They do other things, whether that's cards or static boosts or things like that. And Dario is weird because he sort of falls between both of those stools. He's giving you a static boost, but he's saying then don't spend your resources to boost, which is kind of tricky. He's an interesting one. Yeah, definitely. And I think I would say I've maybe not had enough experience playing with them to to say one way or the other at the moment. It's worth noting that um, at the Labyrinths event, there was a Seth deck with Dario. Oh, yeah. And of course, the willpower boost for her is particularly useful. And because we're playing four player, there were quite a few opportunities where that Seth player was doing a lot of evasion and sort of hanging around and maybe an enemy would be killed and then they wouldn't have anything to do, and just continually tapping Dario to keep the resources up to fuel streetwise was really, it was really interesting to see as a, like, useful sort of... It was really, at that point, a resource generation card where it was once a turn for that last action where you don't have anything to do, gain two rather than gain one. Yeah, yeah. Which, that in itself is... I don't know if I'd want to pay four resources for a card that just gave me that ability, but yeah. But if you're getting the stat boosts as well, reliably, then then maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of stat boosts, yeah. there was another patron that provided a stat boost as yeah, well. Yeah, who was that? That was our mystic patron, David Renfield. I suspect you have lots of things to say about David. Yeah, so I can gonna... chat about David, yeah. Shall I rattle through the cards so that you can Go then... for it. Give us the hot take. So he's the esteemed eschatologist. Two-cost asset like Charles Ross. Intellect icon. All of these patrons just have a single intellect icon. He's two health and one sanity, which is a quite interesting little mix. There aren't too many allies that have that as a stat line. Yeah. While David Renfield has at least one doom on him, you get plus one willpower. And then as a free trigger, exhaust David Renfield. You may place one doom on David Renfield. Gain one resource for each Doom on David Renfield. Fantastic. So just worth clarifying, you don't have to place the Doom every time you exhaust David. It's a May, but you do get a resource for each Doom on David. So you could exhaust him once and place a Doom and get one resource, and then the following turn exhaust him again and get another resource without placing a second Doom. 
and you'd have paid back for David in in two turns. So just before we go any further, uh, mm-hmm. do you know what eschatology is? Um, it's the study of the of the end times, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's a it's a theological discipline, or or, or mystic discipline, really, rather than a than an academic study. Yeah, yeah. Which makes ties in well with well not only his faction, which is mystic, but also the fact he gives you doom because <laughs> he's sort of mm. telling you how the world's going to end. Yeah, once he has doom on him, once he like his theories are being confirmed, that makes <laughs> you a better spellcaster. It's happening. Trust me, guys. Yeah. Or the more he tells you about how the world's going to end, the more you're able to uh, invest resources to fight it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It just flashing back to what you just said about you could put one doom on him every turn. I I, mm. I worked out. I sat down with with a spreadsheet, as I often do, uh, in the evenings. Just unwind with a spreadsheet, and plotted out what the best strategy for making money off him is. Uh, typically, the best thing to do is just load him up with another doom every turn, because then he pays back the most amount of money. Assuming that you've got a reliable way to get rid of him before he advances the agenda. Yeah, so if you load him up doom by doom, on turn one you get one resource. On turn two you're up to three resources because you get one and then two. On turn, it's a, are they pyramid numbers? Is that uh, what they're called? Then you go up to six, Tri- then you go up to ten within right, four turns. Triangle numbers, I think. Triangle numbers? Yeah. Pyramid numbers are the ones in uh, three dimensions, right? Pyramid numbers are the ones I can sell you. Uh, <laughs> Oh gosh, you brought, yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, 1, 3, 6, 10, 15, 21, 28, 36, 45. So it ramps up pretty fast. Obviously, this means you need to be so aware of not just the doom threshold of the current agenda, but also any other ways that you might take doom accidentally. And that doesn't just mean ancient evils, although that is a big target, but it could also be effects that, for instance, turn clues to their doom side, or say, in Echoes of the Past, all clues that that cultists are picking up are immediately becoming doom. Yeah. So, yeah, keeping an eye on that is so important. But I suppose Mystic are the faction that like to care about the agenda more than the act and worrying about the doom threshold and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And actually, in the last cycle, we've seen some... I don't want to get too much into spoilers this episode because it's nice to have episodes people can just listen to mm-hmm. uh, whenever. Yeah. But uh, there is some scenarios, especially in the later cycle, where the, the agendas don't advance in a normal way. So mm-hmm. yeah. putting putting lots of doom onto David is less risky than it would otherwise be. Uh, you, maybe, you know, doom doesn't get added to the agenda or maybe you know, you want the agenda to advance in a particular way. So... Yeah, David comes into his own in those kind of scenarios. Yeah, his one sanity value as well is actually, I think, a little blessing in disguise there. Exactly, yeah. Because Mystic are a faction that you can end up taking horror. You know, a, an unlucky pull on shriveling can give you a horror. I think the leveled up blinding light can give you a horror. There are plenty of ways that you can end up with little spots of horror. You can even be using uh, forbidden, forbidden knowledge, knowledge yeah. and have horror on tap. So there is a useful way of clearing David if you need it. Pain and then that's combined well. with, yeah, painkillers. Calling in favours is a way of getting him off the table. Moonlight Ritual would be a way of clearing him. 
there are potentially lots of different options, but it's probably worth having one in mind when you start tapping, David. Yeah. Even just soaking up an attack or an attack of opportunity, you know, that can that can finish them off. I suppose it's it's some of the things that you did for Arcane Initiate can also then be useful here if you're the kind of player who would always try and clear the doom off Arcane Initiate. Knowing those techniques, either well, playing it in the Witching Hour doesn't work for David, but other techniques along those lines, like making sure you can do the horror or things like that. Yeah, they're, they're similar techniques. I mean, you can even do the old trick. If you're in a, a scenario with lots of uh, swiftly advancing agendas, you can even mm-hmm. just do the old trick where you, you tap them up every time the agenda's about to advance. Yeah, so you're getting Which, then the single resources and you have sort of short periods of time where you have the willpower boost exactly yeah uh, but and and that can be fine you know um I- even if he just pays for himself you've still got an ally who's got two health mm-hmm. one sanity uh, and is giving you a stat boost as well so that's that's not bad by itself even if he only pays for himself uh, in in some of the other scenarios he can pay back a hell of a lot of cash uh, and as long as you have stuff to use that on then then you you're doing pretty well yeah, and we mentioned this in the Daisy episode. You have a Daisy deck that uses David Renfield, don't you? Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. I think it's, it, he really fits in well with Daisy because she really likes the willpower boost if she's yeah. going more into the spellcasting route. And then the money on it let, lets you then invest in things like higher education or or some of the more expensive cards. Yeah, if you go that spell route, you might be wanting to play Book of Shadows or Shriveling multiple times and higher education, and it can become quite an expensive deck, I suppose. So any little extra resource boost you can get is really useful. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, okay, we have just two two more patrons left to look at. Next, we have the Survivor patron. Do you want to speak about her for a bit, Frank? Sure, this is Madame Labranche. She's the mysterious benefactress. And I can't remember why, but she's not Mar of Mar's boarding house, is she? In Southside? Probably not. I don't know. There's something about that art that I realise I think I've always assumed that. It's sort of like she's letting you into this cosy home. But that could be just a massive assumption on my part. So she's another two-cost asset with an intellect icon, like all of the patrons. She's a (laughs) 2-2 as well, which is pretty pretty neat for health and sanity. Uh, She has two free triggers. If you have no cards in your hand, exhaust Madame Lebranche, draw a card. If you have no resources, exhaust Madame Lebranche, gain one resource. So classic survivor fare here, really. Run out of cards, you get a card from Madame Lebranche. Run out of resources, you can tap Madame Lebranche to get a resource. I think she's lovely and thematic in that when you're you're down on your luck, when you don't have any money or you don't have any anywhere else to go, Madame Lebranche will always take you in and and give you a bit of a boost. Yeah. And there's just an incredible amount of flexibility with that boost as well. The idea that she's protecting your hand side or your cards in hand and protecting your resource pool is just really lovely. It sets you up really nicely for dealing with, you know, paranoia hitting or maybe you've been hit by amnesia and you then play your last card and she can sort of boost you back up with it. Or you can deliberately go down as far as you can and then rely on Madame Lebranche to give you free stuff. <laughs> yeah, that bump back up. Maybe you're using a fire axe in a dark horse deck, 
but you still want to have access to to play one cost cards or you know even two cost if if you're relying on the money that you get at the end of your turn Mm -hmm. yeah to go down to zero with fire axe dark horses online just before upkeep you exhaust madame lebranche to go up to one resource and then you get a second resource in upkeep and then you're at two resources to play cards in the mythos phase or at the beginning of the investigation phase or pour that money back into fire axe for another plus four or even during a skill test if you've got no resources you're using dark horse then you fail you can use madame lebranche to be able to play something like lucky Yes, except there's no window to tap Madame Lebranche in a skill test to be able to play the lucky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unless, yeah, not until after you've revealed, not until, bef- not after you've revealed before the before and after, yeah, before and after cards, yeah. cards. Yeah. Okay. Cut yeah. that out then. <laughs> <laughs> what you can do is use her during a skill test where you've got no resources to be able to play a lucky. Yeah. During the skill test, if you need to. You don't fancy your chances with just your dark horse set up and you exhaust her to get the resource and you'd rather have the sort of retroactive plus two. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Or maybe you've got a lucky uh, that lets, a lucky level two, which lets you draw a card as well. Yeah. I also I really like her in uh, Ash Campete, where you might be throwing cards pretty regularly to keep readying Duke. Yeah. And or... that idea that you've got that option to, to get another card is, is really strong. Or Wendy as well. She's yeah, regularly yeah, throwing yeah. cards away to, to activate her ability. Particularly if you've then got a way of replaying those cards from your discard pile. That seems really strong, that you, you don't mind too much chucking the cards. I just the, the, the funny thing always is that I look at it and think, but why would I ever want to be at zero cards in hand? Or why would I... No resources I get more. But I think... Matt mentioned this in our interview, but there the might be a survivor that likes to just have nothing in hand. And I find that such a strange concept that you'd sort of just exist with a more or less empty hand, one or two cards. You know, normally in a card game, that's a sign that you're you've either had to overcommit to get through something, or you're being really punished by your opponent or by the game. Yeah, exactly. But we might see at some point in the future a card similar to Dark Horse, which rewards smaller number of cards in your hand. Mm. Black Pony. Yeah. <laughs> For sure, for sure. And we've even actually seen in Carcosa, again, avoiding spoilers, a situation where there are th- there are things to be done that require you to have few or no cards. Um, and they, they come with ways of getting to that point. But just taking the expectation that you're doing well because you have eight cards in hand and 15 resources on the table and really turning that on the on its head and saying that as a survivor, you might be doing really well when you've run out of things. Yeah, she's then very powerful. I also I also just think for her, paying two for a 2-2 body, the, the only better deal you can get is Malison, who's one for a 2-2 body. So she's still just really useful as a, a nice soak. Yeah. I think all of the people who can take her, that's pretty reasonable to pay two and get a 2-2 body. Of course, um, the, the ideal situation is if you play her when you've got two resources. Yeah, she immediately get a resource back exhausts, straight away. Yeah, so she's going to cost you one, which is which is really nice. I know that there's a Yorick deck out there in the works. I've definitely played Madame Lebranche in Yorick, where instead of running Keepsake and Coat, you just run Madame Lebranche because she provides the same boosts but in one card. And yeah. yeah, it costs two resources more, but you can keep replaying her if you need to and using her as a discount. Yeah, no, I, I, I can absolutely see that, yeah. Playing her when you've 
replaying her when you've got two resources to immediately get a resource back mm-hmm. after yeah. you defeat an enemy. That that feels really good. And then of course you've got you've got the soak straight away. Yeah, my my sort of Yorick thoughts are that I think that is a separate deck design than the coat and keepsake design. Yeah. And obviously if you take Madame Lebranche as your ally, you're not taking certainly at, at level zero, you're not taking Guard Dog, Beat Cop, and then later Xavier or Aquina, and oh, there's like man, so man, much competition in that deck. Man with the red gloves. Man with the red gloves. Red gloves I've man. seen people who like to take um Peter Sylvester in Yorick as well for just for the sanity top up. Yeah. There's like there's, there's so much competition for this ally slot and I think for all of the patrons finding the the specific investigator who wants to run them and maybe you know they almost to a certain extent define a deck that there's not really a point in running Madame Lebranche and thinking well I might run out of cards so I'll just put her in there just in case. You probably want to lean into that ability or the resource ability. In the same way that you don't want to run David Renfield if you don't have a plan for getting rid of him. Yeah, yeah. That takes us to the end of the the fourth patron. Who's the fifth patron, Frank? Well, contrary to popular belief, it's not Super Frank. Maybe one day. We asked Matt about Super Frank. I know that it's everyone's favourite point of the interview. And he gave a sort of typically coded and mysterious reply. But there's actually a different possible fifth patron and that dear listener could be you tell me more frank i'm I'm massively intrigued at this point so peter and i have decided that we're going to launch a patreon page for drawn to the flame the plan is that we have been doing this now for well over a year we're fast approaching our 60th episode which feels amazing and it seems like the podcast has been growing and growing And we wanted to offer listeners the chance to be involved with our journey into the mythos and how we combat the evils of the world. Yeah, this is something we've been talking about for a while now. There's a lot we want to do, isn't there? Yeah. Various types of content, maybe meeting up in person more often would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I mean, more than anything, just... You do most of the editing, Frank, and it's it's very time-consuming. So although it's always great to record more stuff and put more stuff out there, the more we do, the more pressure that puts on you to do the editing. Yeah, yeah. But And the, and the fact is, if it was up to me, I would probably do this full-time and just lean into doing even more. But unfortunately, that's not viable at the moment. But I'd like to try and work towards making that more of a possibility if we can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And the other thing you've probably noticed, listener, is that we have tried to cover lots of different topics with the podcast. And what often happens when Peter and I are talking about the next episode we want to record, we've got a running list of about 10 or 15 things that are our priorities to do. And with The Forgotten Age just around the corner, which will probably date this podcast a little bit, there's the excitement already about new investigators. Who will they be? What will their abilities be? That could be five more investigator-specific episodes. There's the new first look stuff. There's new lore episode about the Forgotten Age. There's just so much to cover with this game. And we're still really passionate about it. And we just want to take it to the next step and dedicate even more time to doing this. So, so tell me, Peter, about Patreon, because it was sort of new to me going down this route and finding out about it. So it's it's a way for 
small content creators, hashtag content, to hashtag creator, yeah, to continue doing what they do, and for for people to directly join them in in what they're doing. Perfect for people who run things like podcasts or who do small bits of art. Anything that's slightly more niche than is able to gain to, to appeal to a very wide marketplace. It's a website where you go on and you commit to a reward level per month. Mm-hmm. You you pledge a certain amount of money, I believe. So mm-hmm. we've got reward tiers on our on our Patreon, which you'd be able to see when you go on the website. And then every month that you automatically pay that money towards the creator, who then uses that money to improve what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That sounds really good. And it's patreon.com, so that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And we're, I think we're drawn to the flame on there, aren't we? We are, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So you mentioned those rewards, Peter. Yes. Uh, shall, I, shall I tell people a little bit about the rewards? Yes, let's do it. And the thing to note at this point, listener, is that we're really open to other suggestions as well. We've put down what we think are four good starting points, but... If there's a real appetite within the community for other things, we'll probably try and look to make that happen and be a possibility as well. So, yeah, let us know what you think. So the the lowest tier, at the moment we're calling the Ghoul Minion tier. I thought about Swarm of Rats, but that it's almost too powerful. <laughs> so what happens if you if you commit to that tier, Peter? The Ghoul Minion, you your name is recorded in the Historical Society patrons of Drawn to the Flame. So we're going to have a point somewhere on our website where we record each and every patron uh, for time immemorial. Yeah. So you, you've managed to find some spare space on the internet, which is which is good. And Carefully carved out. Yeah. Yeah. So your name will be up there for everyone to see how great you are. Uh, I think maybe almost as exciting as that, we'll do advance warning of Drawn to Flame events. So... Not necessarily tickets on sale early, but letting you know when when we're planning on doing them, so you can make sure your diary's free. Yeah, and this is this came out of the fact that when we did the labyrinth event recently, it was a real case of first come first served, and the people who download an episode as soon as it comes out and listen to it promptly found out and got to email. But those people who maybe are a couple of episodes behind or wait until the weekend before they listen to an episode missed out on that chance. If you're a patron, even at the entry-level tier, being a patron, you'll get notified when events are going to happen ahead of time, so that if it's the sort of thing you want to be a part of, you'll you'll get a chance to, to reply and, and be involved. So after the Ghoul Minion, we step up to the Ravenous Ghoul tier. Yeah, this tier offers exactly the same as the Ghoul Minion. Your name recorded in the Historical Society Patrons of Drawn to the Flame archive, and advance warning of each and every Drawn to the Flame event. And then what we're thinking of starting to do is that every episode will probably end with answering patrons' questions. And if you've subscribed at this tier, you'll be the person who can send us questions, and we'll do, I think, maybe four or five questions at the end of each episode, but we'll see what the questions are like. And it might be a case that questions get bundled, if there are enough, or things like that. So we step up from there... To Icy Ghoul. Icy Ghoul. Icy Ghoul. You see Ghoul. We all see Ghouls. Again, this this includes okay. everything we've from the Ghoul Minion tier, but you can, you can still ask us questions. You will mm. also get the opportunity to request answers from our 
too rarely seen guest host, uh, Andrea. Yeah, so Andrea has very kindly suggested that if you have a very knotty rules question that you're pretty sure that <laughs> the combined brains of Frank and Peter can't answer, you know, or, or maybe it's not a, a, a rules question, maybe it's just a, I'm really having trouble with this scenario, how do I beat it, or how do I beat it reliably, or whatever it is, or, you know, why is the key of East broken, or all of these kind of questions, that she is willing, hopefully once a month, it might be a little less common than that but she is hoping to to answer questions for you if you are an icy ghoul patron i mean that's pretty exciting <laughs> yeah i'm i'm already grinning at the thought of the kind of things that she'll, <laughs> she'll say she's now taken to coming in when i'm playing arkham and saying do you need any tips <laughs> just as like i don't know if it's a supportive thing or a sort of humiliating her husband thing yeah but you're just like, Andrew, no, if I listen to you, you just make it too easy. Yeah, exactly. You're this, this super brain. So finally, we step up to the last tier, which is Ghoul Priest. Yeah. I mean, Ghoul Priest, it's a big deal. It's, <laughs> I think, you know, probably people's first boss that they dealt with in Arkham. It's definitely terrifying and monstrous. So this includes everything at the previous tiers, but also we're going to do deck-specific episodes. So if you've got a deck you've built or you've suggested, or maybe even an idea for a deck, we'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about the decks in detail. We'll go through card by card. We can suggest improvements uh, or talk about how great your deck is. Yeah. So, yeah. And talk about why that deck is great as well. I think that's... That's the, the the really important thing. Why is it that certain things sing together or don't work together and that kind of thing? So those are our, what we're thinking of at the moment. As I said, we're very open to feedback. I appreciate we talked a lot about mm. this a lot in this episode. I guess the final question would be, is what we do for everyone, for people who are patrons and not patrons, going to change at all? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Thank you. We have been wanting to do deck specific episodes for quite a long time and we're talking about how we would do them would they just be our own decks how would we invite people in the community to share them and i'm so keen to involve more people in drawn to the flame and if that means that patrons send in decks and we talk about them i think that that could be really rewarding for the community and that sort of thing but i'm also really really keen that there aren't episodes that are behind some kind of a paywall or for only a specific group of people so we're going to keep doing everything we've been doing i'm going to keep doing the first looks the live plays the trait episodes the investigator episodes discussion episodes all of that is still happening and will continue to happen the point of patreon is that we can do more and that we can provide more to the community as a result so that's that's the the bottom line that's also why on these rewards we've not talked about, you know, access to a secret patron-only card review service or things like that, because we're not interested in in closing off Drawn to the Flame to certain parts of the community. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that, that was really key for us when we were yeah. coming up with ideas for this. So we really hope you like the sound of those tiers. Please just even go and have a look at the page. We're super lucky that friend of the show and illustrator of our logo benjamin has done some little logos for us for the tears that are brilliant and fantastic we love you ben oh we do and we do take a look <laughs> sorry I, I said we do we, we absolutely love this the work ben does 
Yeah, it's just incredible. Yeah. Take a look. See if there are things that you agree with, you disagree with. You can always let us know. Perhaps you think you want to be one of the first patrons of Drawn to the Flame. By all means, do that. That would be amazing. We're going to say already, thank you so much. If that's something you'll even consider, it's wonderful. And we're really excited to see what happens next with this podcast. Okay. Uh, Frank, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do it? I'm on Twitter as FB, that's E-P-H underscore B-E-E. And then I'm around the place as Zooey Glass or Zozo. How about you, Peter? Uh, I'm everywhere as Unitled. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on Discord and the uh, subreddit where I usually run the card of the day, but things have been a bit hectic for me recently. So uh, the always fantastic Darth Caboose is doing that at the moment. Uh, I'm also on Twitter as Unitled as well. Fantastic. If you want to email us, we're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com we're drawn to the flame on facebook thank you for all the people who comment there and we're drawn to the flame on twitter likewise to you twitter people and we're now as well drawn to the flame on patreon so if you want to take a look on there we'd be super grateful for any response thank you very much for listening thank you thank you